Welcome to Waterstone Church. We're so glad that you're here with us today. My name is Sarah, and I'm the kids pastor here at Waterstone. If you are joining us for the first time today, we would love to have you fill out our little information card that is found on our website at waterstonechurch.org backslash livestream. You've joined us today on a great day. Today is Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday is the first day of Holy Week. And so today, we wanna to invite you into our celebration. Palm Sunday was the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and the streets were filled with people that were waving palm branches and celebrating Jesus as their king. And so we invite you today to join us as we celebrate Jesus as our king. A reading from Mark 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found the colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he, the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, it was already late. He went out to Bethany with the twelve. A word from the Lord. Hey, Waterstone, it's good to see you on this Palm Sunday. Uh, I just have to start by saying what an awesome job you kids did with that video, uh, waving your palm branches around. I have to say, I was a proud dad moment, uh, and that my little baby girl who can't even like really hold palm branches was in a video on Palm Sunday. So we did our part, and uh, it was great, great to see all those kids uh, joining in uh, that form of worship. Uh, one thing before we get going on the message today is uh, we are entering the Holy Week, so Palm Sunday is the first day of Holy Week. We we will have a Good Friday service uh, this Friday. And what we are really excited about that service is that we are going to do communion together. Now, it's obviously going to be a little bit different because all of us are at our homes. Uh, and so what we are encouraging you to do between now and Friday is actually get the materials you need um, ready so that you can partake in communion with us. We'll lead through the service and have a moment uh, where we can spend time uh, worshiping God reflecting on, on Good Friday, and then taking communion together uh, like we normally do. Good Friday is one of my favorite uh, services out of the entire year, and uh, we're looking forward to that with you. Um, so let me pray, and then we'll jump into the message uh, today on Palm Sunday. Heavenly Father, uh, God, we thank you uh, for this moment. Uh, we thank you uh, for the scripture that was just read of how uh, 2,000 years ago, Jesus entered Jerusalem as king. Father, we pray that today as we open the scriptures, as we worship together, even though we are not together, uh, God, that you would uh, speak to us, that you would show up, that you would reveal yourself. Um, Father, that even though we are gathered online, that, that we believe where two or more are gathered, you are with us. And so we pray that that would be true uh, today. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
All right. So has there ever been a moment in your life where you have felt like God was anonymous? You know what I'm talking about? Those moments where, where you believe God is real and you know God is there for the most part, but it feels like he's anonymous in your story. It feels like he is not showing up in the way that you expect. Well, that's actually something that, that's really common throughout all of Scripture. It's a, it's a common experience for the people of God. In fact, in 518 BC, there was a prophet named Zechariah. And this prophet, Zechariah, he was living in a time when Darius, the king of Persia, ruled the entire world. And Israel, the people of God, were living in exile. They were living in a time under oppression and domination of a foreign empire. And this is what Zechariah the prophet says in that space. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots of Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. See, this poem that Zechariah writes in 518 B.C., is this audacious act of hope. They are living under oppression. They are living in a moment where it feels like God is anonymous. It feels like God is not there. And in that space, Zechariah has this audacious hope to write that one day a king will come riding on a donkey into Jerusalem and establish the rule and the reign of God. But then the Persian Empire turns into the Greek Empire. And then the Greek Empire turns into the Roman Empire. And 500 centuries pass and nothing has changed. The circumstances of Israel haven't changed at all. 500 years, five centuries, and they are still living under the oppression of a foreign empire. And you have to wonder that this hope and how these people would have been waiting for God to show up and change their circumstances. These people for 500 years are hoping and praying for God to show up and stop being anonymous. And nothing, nothing happens. You see, and I think that's actually a, a fairly relatable experience for us. I think there are moments in life where we are living our stories and going through life where it feels like God is anonymous in our story. In fact, I would say that there's several different ways that we experience God being anonymous in our story. The first, right, is when, when we experience bad things that happen in our lives. When we experience our, our life falling apart, coming apart at the seams, whether that's in relationships or, or in our careers or maybe with our kids, where, where things are not going the way that they are supposed to go and we are crying out, expecting God to show up in our circumstances and do something, and he's anonymous. And sometimes we've had those experiences where actually it's not just our circumstances, but it's actually the choices we've made. We've made certain choices to rebel against God, to choose our own path, to wander from him. And we get to a place where we've gotten so much further than we ever thought or meant to that we look at God and we wonder, where are you? How do I get back to you? You are anonymous in my story right now. 
But to be honest, it doesn't have to be bad circumstances or bad choices. Sometimes things are good. Life is fine. And it still feels like God is anonymous in our life. It just feels like there's a distance there. It feels like we can't see him, we can't experience him, we can't know him. And so I'd actually like to do something different today. I would like you at home um, to turn to someone you're maybe watching it with, or if you're watching it on your own, I would like you to text someone you know that might be watching, maybe someone in your small group, maybe a friend you have, and I would like you to actually have a conversation about this question. Has there ever been a time in your life where you have felt like God was anonymous. Or you can also feel free to just leave a comment in the Facebook page. So I'm actually gonna pause for a moment. We're gonna throw the question up on the screen and allow you to talk for, for a couple of minutes about that question. Is God anonymous? All right, so that's kind of the, the way I would like to, to go through this message today is, is to take brief moments throughout the time that we are spending together um, to actually have conversations. It's one of the things we can afford to do since we're not all gathered together. And uh, yeah, so there's gonna be a couple times be prepared to talk uh, with the people you're watching with or your friends who are watching uh, from afar. Okay, so sometimes in our lives, God feels anonymous. That's our lived experience. That was the lived experience of Israel for 500 years, waiting for God to show up to do something to change their circumstances and to stop being anonymous. Now, the challenge is that when you come to Mark 11, the story that was just read, you can see that this expectation, this waiting, this hope that has been going on for 500 years is so evident in the story of Palm Sunday. I mean, it is a story that is bursting with excitement and anticipation of the belief that maybe God is doing something again. So in Mark 11, it says this, when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road, and while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. You see, these shouts of praise, these shouts of acclamation, these, these hopes are all coming out in the town of Jerusalem, bursting forth towards Jesus. He is the target of all of their hopes, all of their anticipation, all of their, their waiting for God to no longer be anonymous. And it's so evident in the story because Hosanna is literally the cry, save us now. 
And when they start shouting for the kingdom of our father David, they're saying, this is the one who will fulfill that prophecy that Zechariah placed 500 years ago. He's even riding a colt. He's riding the donkey. He is making it happen. And you can feel the energy and the excitement building in this town as Jesus comes as king. And what makes the story even more fascinating is as Jesus comes as king, he enters Jerusalem from the east, from Jericho. So he comes up over a high hill and he comes down into Jerusalem riding on a donkey being proclaimed as king. But we know that it's Passover week. And at Passover week, every year, the Roman governor would come from the west, Caesarea, and come into Jerusalem. And so what you have on Palm Sunday is actually a, a very competing narrative of a king who's coming in riding on a donkey, Jesus, and a Roman governor, the representative of, of all of the oppression and, and devastation that Israel has been experiencing, riding in probably on a white charger at the head of the Roman cavalry and chariots and army, declaring that, hey, you don't want to mess with us because we are really good at waging war. And so you can feel the tension build because you have Jesus coming in from the east and you have Pilate coming in from the west. And the people who are seeing this happen, they have to think, oh yeah, this is the moment where we're going to throw down. This is the moment the rebellion starts. This is the moment Jesus is headed toward Pilate. Pilate's headed toward Jesus. And we are about to fight back and kick Rome out of our country. It's that moment in the movies, you know, like any Marvel movie you've ever seen or really any action movie where, where the two sides come together and they start assembling to, to fight the big battle and, and they're gathering on their side and they're looking at their enemies and there's usually some sort of like quippy comment about how the battle's gonna go and then the music crescendos and everything comes to this moment where you are so ready for the fight. And then Jesus goes to the temple, looks around and leaves. How anticlimactic. I mean, you can imagine these people who have been waiting for 500 years, 500 years for God to show up, who are shouting, Hosanna, the king has come, who are laying down their cloaks and their palm branches to make sure that the king has a way into the city. They are so excited and Jesus just walks off the scene. Not even going to the fortress to... to figure out how they can maybe take out the Romans, not even inciting violence or building people up to fight. He just simply walks off. And you can imagine this expectation that, that God is no longer anonymous and then all of a sudden Jesus stepping off the scene. The letdown, the disappointment, the frustration. We thought this was the one who would fulfill our hopes. What is he doing? He's doing nothing to change our circumstances. He's doing nothing to show us that God is not anonymous. And it's really fascinating as you see the week of Holy Week play out in scriptures, as you see this continued disappointment for people that Jesus is not the king they expected. In fact, it actually takes us to one of the main players in the story of Holy Week, which is Judas Iscariot. And it says this about Judas Iscariot in Mark 14. There it is. <clears throat> this is a moment, but I've got to give a little context here, where, where Judas Iscariot 
decides to betray Jesus. Now, we have a lot of difficulty de- defining and figuring out necessarily why Judas made that decision. There's a lot of debate and conversation about that, and most of the time people say it has something to do with greed. I mean, after all, Judas was probably the treasurer of the disciples group. He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, and beyond that, the moment he decides to betray Jesus is a moment recorded in multiple gospels where Jesus is anointed with expensive perfume. And there Judas decides to betray Jesus. And this is that passage where Judas decides that he's going to betray Jesus. He says, and Jesus says, leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, that she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Now, what you've got to understand is place yourself in Judas's feet. He's an Israelite. He's been living under oppression, stories of oppression, stories of being dominated by foreign powers and foreign enemies his entire life. And he has placed all of his hopes, all of his expectations on Jesus being the one who will deliver him. But I think there's actually something deeper going on than greed for the reason why Judas betrays Jesus. And I think you see in this story that there's actually a few clues as to why Judas decided to betray Jesus after this incident with the woman who puts expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. And the first, I think, is in his name. You see, Judas Iscariot, that's not his surname. Iscariot is not his surname. It likely ties him to a group called the Sicarii. It likely ties him to a group, the Sicarii. They were, they were the daggermen. They were assassins. They were the ones who would sneak into crowds, stab Roman soldiers or leaders, and then fade away into the background. They were insurrectionists. They were zealots. They were rebels. That is what Judas's background was before he started following Jesus. And beyond that, if you look at the story, and if we could go back up to the, the previous slide, Judas is often said to, to choose to betray Jesus because of this expensive perfume that could have been given to the poor. But I think there's actually something deeper going on there. You see, Jesus says that the reason why she did this was to prepare him for burial, to prepare him for death. Now, I want you to imagine that you're Judas and you've placed all of your hopes, all of your expectations on Jesus, that he is going to be the one to kick Rome out. He is going to be the one to fulfill your fantasies of of insurrection and rebellion and, and revolt against Rome. But then he starts talking about his death. Then he starts talking about how he is going to die. He doesn't start talking about how they're going to kill the Romans. He doesn't start talking about how they're going to tear down the fortress. He doesn't talk about how they're going to win the victory. He starts talking about how he is going to die. See, and so scholars think that actually with this background understanding of who Judas was before Jesus and this expectation, this hope that God is no longer anonymous, that he's going to show up and change the circumstances of Israel. And then Judas begins to catch wind that Jesus' plan is very different. His kingdom is not coming through conquering Rome. 
And when he gets wind of that, when his expectations aren't met, he chooses to betray Jesus. Which is really not that different than most of our experiences with Jesus, if, if we're honest with each other, right? If we're honest with ourselves and with each other, we've all had those experiences where Jesus has not met our expectations. He hasn't shown up to change our circumstances in the way that we were hoping and praying for. He hasn't come in and saved the day from all of our enemies and everyone who's oppressed us in the way that we wanted. I mean, you can take the, the experience we're living right now. He hasn't come in and taken away the virus. We are living in a space where it is hard to know whether or not God is anonymous. And the question for us that Palm Sunday invokes, that Palm Sunday forces us to ask, is when God seems anonymous and when God doesn't show up in the way that we expect, will we turn our back on him? You see, and I, I think that's actually, it's really hard to condemn Judas. We have all done that at different points in our lives. We have all traded or exchanged Jesus for something we think has a higher probability of achieving the happiness, success, satisfaction, joys that we are longing for. We have all taken Jesus, and when he has not met our expectations, when he has left us wanting, when he has left us in a place of disappointment, of not being the king we thought he was, we begin looking other places for things that will satisfy and fulfill us. And we exchange Jesus for a lie. And so I'd like to give you a moment in your groups or at home or, or on your text threads or on Facebook to just answer this question. What is one way you have exchanged Jesus for something you thought had a higher probability of fulfilling your expectations? Go ahead and talk about that for a little bit and then we'll come back. You see, what's so fascinating about the story of Palm Sunday is this. If you would have asked the disciples, the followers of Jesus, Peter, James, John, Judas, why they were going to Jerusalem before Passover, every one of them would have given you the same answer. They said, we are going so that Jesus will be crowned king and so that he will ignite the rule and reign of God over all the nations. We are going to Jerusalem so that Jesus will fulfill the prophecy given in Zechariah and all the other prophets about the Messiah who would come. That's why they were going. And they were 100% correct. The problem was not with what they thought Jesus was doing, what they thought God was doing. The problem was with the how. You see, they had expectations for how God would make that happen. And when those expectations of how God would show up and no longer be anonymous in their minds, when those expectations were not met, they're left in a place of disappointment, frustration, bitterness, anger, 
resentment. I mean, we've all been there. We've all had those emotions expressed towards God when he does not show up and change our circumstances in the way that we have hoped. See, what Palm Sunday does is it reveals to us that that most of the time in our interactions with God, we have expectations and hopes and desires that we place on him that we are hoping he will fulfill. And because he's good, he often does. The challenge of Palm Sunday is that he doesn't always do so in the way that we expect. That he doesn't always come through for us in the way that we hoped or desired. That that sometimes Jesus is not a king who meets our expectations. In fact, I would say Jesus is a king who's not interested in meeting our expectations. He is king. He is above us. He is beyond us. He is the ruler. And we are those who have proclaimed allegiance to him. He is the king who is not interested in meeting our expectations. He is interested in meeting our needs. That is what Palm Sunday shows us. And to be honest with you, that is a God who makes me very uncomfortable. I want a king that meets my expectations. I don't want someone to tell me I need vegetables when I want ice cream, right? I want someone who who bends to my will, who does what I desire, who fix my life and my circumstances the way that I want. And the challenge of Palm Sunday is the realization that that God works outside of those expectations. He works beyond our hopes or our desires that we place on Jesus. And the truth is that it's beyond anything we could imagine. Even though it may not be always what we expect, the joy and the satisfaction and the hope of King Jesus is beyond what we actually desire and think we expect. He meets the needs we don't even know we have. You see, when Jesus comes on Palm Sunday riding on a donkey, he he comes not as a conquering victor willing to wage war and kill more people in order to bring his kingdom. He comes as the king willing to die, willing to lay down his life. He comes as the king willing to serve. He comes as the king who says that his kingdom comes not through the sword, but through the cross. He's the king that understands what we truly need is not for our circumstances for change, but the entire cosmos to change. That death and sin and evil need to be defeated. And the way that they are defeated is through his sacrificial love. Not through conquering some Roman governor. Not through conquering our enemies. Not through making our life the way that we have always dreamed. It comes through something much broader and more expansive than we could ever hope to believe. See, and the beauty of Palm Sunday is that there's this mystery, this God who doesn't meet our expectations but meets the needs we don't even always know we have. And the beauty of Palm Sunday is that when you see that story, when you see that God is not anonymous just because he's not meeting our circumstances or our expectations, that God is not anonymous because he doesn't show up the way that we want. You see that he is writing a story that is beyond anything we can possibly imagine, a mystery that is greater than anything we could understand, the kind of mystery that says 500 years before Jesus showed up on the scene, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, Shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks for tuning in today. We are glad to have you with us. We are a church that is about worship and connections. And right after Easter, we're going to be launching some small groups online through Zoom or Skype. If you'd like to be a part of one of those small groups, we invite you to fill out the card online today and in the comments section, put in the word small group and we'll connect with you. Well, this is an exciting week around here. We've got a lot going on we want you to be a part of. On Friday night, we will have a remembrance service as we talk about and remember together Jesus' death on the cross. So would you join us on Good Friday at 7 p.m. here for a live stream? Also, we will come back together on Easter Sunday here at 8, 9.30, and 11. And we'd love to have you be part of our Easter services where we are celebrating that hope is greater than fear. Waterstone, lastly today, we want to say thank you. Thank you for your generosity. You've shown that you are a congregation who loves and cares for people here at Waterstone and in our surrounding community with your generosity and your love. So thank you. If you want to continue to give, you can give at waterstonechurch.org backslash give. Thanks for being here with us today. Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you so much for this time together today as we have exalted you and lifted you high. Jesus, we proclaim that you are our Lord and you are our King. We come before you to celebrate your goodness. We celebrate your sovereignty, even in the place that we sit in history right now with what is going on in our world. We still celebrate your goodness and your Lordship and who you are. We desire to exalt you and lift you high. We pray for the people of Waterstone and our surrounding community today, that they will be a people that are continuously generous, filled with grace, filled with compassion, and filled with love for others, that we will be able to make a difference here in Littleton and in Waterstone and our surrounding area and in our world. Jesus, we exalt you and lift you high today, and it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Peace be with you.